I, I, I say every parent should take their kids to the farmer's market at least a couple of times in a year so they know, you know, where things come from and what they look like in their original state, you know? And, um, you know, maybe that's an inroad to developing a relationship with food. The culinary space is a really interesting fishbowl of, of just different characters. I've gotten, um, you know, a little bit of a, a glance into the space through my, my brother-in-law. And I just see, like you said, this just this mix of characters where you're like, oh, that person isn't right. Oh, that person is right. Oh, that person is, a, is amazing. That person yeah. is great. That person is horrible. And you just have them all in the same ecosystem. And it, go, and it, it goes from one perspective to, to the other. I was, I was telling someone the other day, I said, just, just imagine the weird character optics of Mr. Rogers selling crack in the hood. You know, like you'd be, I mean, you'd just be like, <laughs> you'd be traumatized. You'd be like, Mr. Rogers, what are you doing here? You know, I mean, selling crack <laughs> in your neighborhood. And I mean, I know that's like Dave Chappelle-ish. I, 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 I uh, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to pull off that monologue, but uh, he would, you know. But I mean, just think of the, you know, just the, the paradigm toggle of characteristics of seeing someone that you thought was one way and get to know them and all of a sudden you find out there's a whole nother animal you know what i mean underneath the the the, the, the sheets here and so it's uh oh you know it's really amazing um oh. but you live that because you have to be yourself in the business even if you try to hide it for a while it doesn't work it's it's the heat it's the pressure it, it always, it always steams it out like who you are, you know? And so, um, yes, to your point, really, really like crazy. Oh man, Alex, I and have some to... good, and a lot of good people too. Of you course, know what I mean? Yeah, you, you realize like underneath there's some really, this goodness and you perceive it as badness. So it's really, you know, you learn not to be so judgmental um, because who you think someone is most of the time in the industry, they're not who you think they were. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is meant to celebrate people of African descent. We showcase the extraordinary efforts of seemingly ordinary people, bringing light to their projects and journeys. Our purpose is to ultimately reshape how the world interprets the African story. Of all the relationships we have over the course of a lifetime, the connection with food is arguably the most important. From the day we are conceived, our diet of nutrients has a direct influence on development, be it physical or emotional. Children gain strength and brain development from healthy and robust diets. Adolescents changing bodies benefit from robust meals to help them blossom and grow into healthy adulthood. Balanced, mindful eating can not only ward off age-related illnesses, but can stem the process altogether, driving us to live long and fulfilling journeys. From mood to management, what we put in our bodies helps us get the most out of life. When I sat down with Alex Askew, I had no idea what to expect. His resume was impressive. A seasoned chef, pun intended who graduated from the Culinary Institute of America. He'd been a chef since the tender age of 14, using his thirst for cooking to fuel his education and his life. He's started and led food-focused nonprofits and continues to transform the food space. And you should know that he's constantly on the move, making food justice his purpose and his guiding light. 
So when I finally caught up with him, I was curious about what he'd say about food justice and the food system in general. The conversation that ensued, I would have to say, changed my life. And I hope will at least greatly impact yours. Not because I had no idea that food and nutrition was important. Not because I didn't understand that food equity, people's ability to access healthy food, was a socioeconomic challenge for the times. And certainly not because I didn't understand that COVID exacerbated those challenges. I understood all of that, at least on a surface level. What the conversation did bring me, however, was a deeper appreciation of the problem, of how fast food and fast marketing has made a big problem into a colossal one. I better understood why a broader diversity within the culinary arts is important, I would say critical, in reshaping disadvantaged people's relationship with food. And finally, I learned that in a cynical world that's got way more problems than solutions, far more questions than answers, that there are bright people of all colors and creeds who are working towards revolution. Food revolution. And that upheaval, that momentum, is real and it's growing. If you want to find out about food justice and why it's critically important in the fight towards a better world, if you want to hear about solutions and real change, if you want to feed your spirit, your soul, and your stomach, then you, my friends, are in for a treat. My name is Kondwani Mwase. And today's episode is Enter the Blender, the marketing of food justice. It's an episode your ears can feast on. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I couldn't resist. So, it's time. Here, in part, is my conversation with Alex Askew. Sure. So, Chef Alex, uh, middle name, not too many people know, Karew, C-A-R-E-W, uh, Askew, A-S-K-E-W. And, uh, well, obviously, I'm a chef by trade. Um, started cooking when I was 15 years old. Um, went and was involved in uh, with a with a high school culinary arts program and landed my first job as a kind of like a private cook for a rather well-to-do family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really just started getting my legs. Um, I mean, when I was 16, you know, I lied about my age to work in a big restaurant and uh, I wanted to see what the big boys were doing and, and test my passion for it. And, uh, I passed uh, the test, and, and it's, it's led you to where you are now. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm I'm going to get to all of that meaty stuff. So I want you to hold that hold that thought, okay. good if you could. Um, but I love that that you know the history of you in cooking really started at such a young age. But again, before I get there, I want to ask Karu, going back to your name. So Alex Karu, ask you. Is there some significance to that name? And is there some reason why you don't use it? Well, I know it's a French name. I, I still don't know why my mother put it there, but it, it's, it's, it's absolutely a, a very unique uh, name um, that comes from, I guess, uh, French royalty. Is your, are your, your parents French background? Like what's, what's your yeah, background? Not at all. Not at all. It, it, it's kind of doesn't make, you know, any alignment sense at all. But I, I have to be honest with you, um, you know, I, in my son's middle name is Carew. He uses it, you know, all the time. He says, my name is Sean Carew Askew, and it kind of flows good and uh, way better than a junior, you know? Uh, yeah. so, um, so it's, you know, uh, one more thing that makes me stand out. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. And I love, I love that your son has extended that and he's now using that. So that, that's, that's very cool, yeah. 
what is your fam family background roots roots like if we go back generations i did the ancestry you know dna test and it was it was it was two arrows basically one from congo africa and, and the other one from like welsh england and it they all converged to this one spot in north carolina where uh which is northeast uh rural farming land and there's there's an askewville and there's actually uh white people with the last name and black people with the last name so you can do the math my father grandfather you know grandfather like you know his father sharecropper their father slave it's they, they still have plantations there it's um um you know it's pretty uh but it, it doesn't seem like a, <clears throat> a hostile deep south environment um, my grandfather, uh, who was also a pastor, his name was Dorsey, uh, Dorsey Askew. He acquired a lot of land. I mean, thousands of acres besides being a pastor, he was, he built homes and he used to get paid in paid in land. And mm -hmm. so, uh, he acquired, uh, almost 2000 acres, which a lot of it's still in our family today. I cut you off when you were saying that you, you know, you started at the age of 14 and then it, at, around the age of 16, you got into uh, a family home. So please, if you can continue that story and sort of, I think what I'm looking for is where did that, that excitement for cooking and that desire to be a chef come from? Um, well, there's two things that were motivating factors. The first thing is, I always had odd jobs and, um, you know, cutting grass. I think I outgrew cutting grass and <laughs> doing all the things a 14, 15 year old could do. And I really wanted to get a paycheck. I mean, when I was, you know, 14 and a half working as that, you know, that, that, uh, cook for that family, you know, this was back in 19, uh, 1982 and 1983, they were paying me 10 bucks an hour. I mean, I know people now that don't make 10 bucks an hour. So that was a motivating factor because I could, you know, literally work a couple hours after school, Monday through Friday, and I had 50, 60 bucks in my pocket. That's, you know, that's, that's good money for a 15-year-old, mm -hmm. you know? Um, the second thing as I started learning how to cook, because that's a process, what really started to uh, motivate me was the curiosity of the science behind it. Um, you know, the just temperatures, coagulation of proteins, caramelizations, acids, acidities, alkalines, um, the different cooking methods that there were between roasting and grilling and um, baking and, and all of those things. And so, um, it really led me to be curious of uh, how far the, you know, how deep the rabbit hole goes. Um, and, uh, you know, I just embraced my ignorance. It was just amazing, like how much I just, you know, didn't know and wanted to learn. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I was uh, a very disciplined person. Um, people always used to comment that they, you know, that they thought I was in the military because I was very, very structured and, um, that fit in well with, with, with cooking and, and the road to being a chef is, uh, they have a term that's called mise en place, M-I-S-E-N-P-L-A-C-E. -E, and that's, and that's the order of things. And we were able to. Uh, organize yourself to um, cook in the best way. What led you to start the uh, BCA and that's the, the Black Culinary Alliance? Well, um, you know, at the Culinary Institute of America, which is uh, still regarded as the top culinary uh, food training institution in the world, I, um, I was around... 19, 20 years old, and it uh, it became glaringly obvious to me that although it was the best education in the world, it was not the most friendliest, or I could even go as far as saying it was a toxic environment for students of color. 
And so, um, you know, by that time I, I was, you know, I was, I paid for school on my own. I was, you know, my weekend hustle was, you know, um, you know, I was making a few hundred dollars every weekend, which is like, I mean, for someone 19, that's really great money. I had my own car. Yeah. Um, was, was all your side hustles wrapped up in food? Nice. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and so, um, you know, I, I really like noticed very quickly as a young person of color that the environment wasn't too friendly. Um, so what I did really is, you know, I had the availability of just doing my work and getting off campus and partying at another school and, you know, meeting folks that, you know, look like me and, and, you know, I, it really started to, um, I, I think that was a good thing for me, but it, what, what started to dawn on me was the fact that I was looking at the other students of color and, you know, I really saw a sense of, of them being demoralized, you know, their head was always down when they were walking through the hallways and, um, you know, long story short, I just really felt that, um, since I was, a person that always had gumption that I should, you know, go to the leadership of the school and say, Hey, you know, um, I'd like to co-found, uh, you know, a student chapter, you know, for students of color. How was that received? Well, I mean, the way I presented the argument was, you know, it would be a good thing for the school. And, um, you know, if, if that's, if it wasn't possible, then, I would make some noise and um, they took the first option. They're like, we don't want someone like you making noise, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so um, basically that's how the student chapter got started, which is still in existence today, you know, 30, you know, 30 years later. Um, And after graduating, that wasn't enough. So um, I was part of co-founding an alumni chapter under their seal. Uh, that was called the Black Culinary Alumni Chapter of the Culinary Institute of America. And that really kind of blew open the doors nationally because here we were a group of very, very young folks that uh, people really regarded as, as winning a almost a civil rights victory within a very, very racist institutionalized kind of construct. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in all the publications and articles and a um, lot of, you know, accolades. And, and the whole essence of it was coalescing um, <laughs> black power in the culinary arts. And uh, we, we did that successfully. And, and then, you know, after a few years, we really felt that we should align with other schools, you know, like Johnson and Wales, which is, you know, also regarded as a very top tier school. So we dissolved the alumni chapter and we founded, you know, BCA, Black Culinary Alliance, which after 25 years, we have a brand that's BCA Global that is global. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, and you really celebrate all people of, of, of color within there. Um, right. How, and recently, yeah, and so- recently we've, you know, uh, shifted into this, <clears throat> this context of BIPOC, yeah. Black Indigenous People of Color, which is, you know, that's here to stay. And so, you know, um, just as of last week, we put it on our website. So it really um, helps define, you know, people get all caught up in the woods, like who's a person of color, who's not. And, you know, I tell people, well, we're not giving DNA tests. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> if you identify with the oppression of black and brown people who are descendants of, of Africa, Hey, you know, um, you're a person of color. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, we, you know, I mean, cause there's light skin, there's, there's, there's people that almost look white. I mean, we can't get in the woods about how someone looks, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's internalized, you know, it's an internalized, um, identification. And so, and I would, I would, um, I, I would make this radical statement that there's some black and brown people that, uh, don't identify as being someone of color, you yeah. know, and, yeah. um, yeah. you know, they figured out how to latch on to white privilege and, you know, um, it is what it is. 
Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think, and it is commendable what you've, been, what you've been doing for, I think, over 20, 25 years now, really. Um, that, that organization is, is sort of grown and is really pushing diversity in, in the food space. Is that fair to say? I, I would say it's fair to say it goes a lot further than that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, diversity, I think, is, is, is an old term now. Okay. I mean, they started, you know, we started before the buzzword of diversity. <clears throat> then, di you know, in the beginning, diversity did mean, you know, around this understanding. And then it started getting diluted like it was just a broad stroke, you know. It was just like Rainbow Coalition, you know. It's just, it started losing meaning. And, um, you know, nowadays they kind of use it as, uh, you know, as a checking of the box that, you know, we believe in diversity, which absolutely means nothing, um, does, does little to do with racial equity. And um, uh, quite frankly, you know, they're trying to lump everyone together. So, you know, whether you're, you know, from the LBG a TQ community, whether you're from, um, um, you know, uh, from the disability community, um, immigrant community, you know, lumping them all together and calling it diversity. Now, yes, that is diversity, but each spectrum has its own history it's and its own challenges. Wonderful. So it's really, I think, a surreptitious way to kind of get out of the racial equity conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're, you know, I, they're still trying to get away with it today. I, 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 was, I, was on a, I was on a phone call with one of the top, um, I was on a listening uh, conference webinar with one of the top food service companies just this week. And, you know, the subject was confronting systemic racism. And they talked about everything outside of the food industry. Yeah. You know, police brutality. Um, I mean, it was just like really strange that, you know, in our industry, there is so much, uh, you know, racial inequity, inequality, Michael, you know, I just, it's just, it's just, it just really, really uh, amazes me that people are still trying to avoid the issue. Yeah, Alex, I think, I think you, you've really nailed something. And this is really what I was excited to talk to you about, really, because I think it's so important for people to connect those dots. How do you see racial equality and food, food justice, really, sort of like, where do they converge and why is it important? Right. Well, I, you know, I mean, there's these, there's equality and there's equity, you mm -hmm. know, and, and if, you know, um, if you ever seen those kids on the boxes, you know what I mean? Where, you know, everyone's standing on the same box. Well, that's equality. Um, but equity is where they're all standing on different um, vantage, you know, points of opportunity. And that's, that's the equity piece. That's the piece that really, um, that we focus on because, you know, the goalposts will be moved all the time. If you're someone of color, is it, is it moved specifically because you're someone of color? You know, that's where it becomes an equity situation because you'll never have an opportunity to get that promotion. It just won't happen. Um, so in terms of answering your question about the intersect, there's a, there's a couple of different lanes here. One is, is, is what I just mentioned about moving the goalposts. You know, uh, I've been in positions as the first person of color. And let me tell you something. It's, um, you know, I, I, I would I would have to gather from the experiences that it's not healthy for any person of color to be the first because you are a target. You have to prove yourself. You are, I mean, it, it, every day is a chess game, mm. you know, because they're always going to challenge you to uh, prove that you're not good enough and you have to push back and show that you're not only good enough, but you're better than they think. Uh, that said, you know, the food system space is a trillion dollar industry next to technology is the largest system space and industry space. Unfortunately, it's dominated by white males. So that's the A part. The B part is that, you know, everything else around the food system, there's, there's a sense of, 
I would say almost being predatory towards the trauma that communities of color face. Uh, let me explain. The black and brown community is under more stress and anxiety. I mean, you go to any, you know, American Heart Association, oh, and the, the facts and data are there. I mean, black males die from more heart attacks. I mean, what's that from? You know, I mean, that's stress, anxiety, looking behind your shoulder, not, you know, um, you know, those type of things um, that also compound generational trauma is, is something that, you know, we need to, uh, like someone's grandmother would say, get our mind right. Yeah. Because this is a sense of craziness. And we, as the black and brown community, inclusive of the indigenous community, are being victimized. You layer the food system on top of that. You know, you look at the predatory marketing that goes on uh, with fast food companies and communities of color. You go to the supermarket with any of your, you know, any of your kids, and if you just take a look at what they're being marketed to on their eye level, it's all junk food most of the time. That's, you know, that's, that's marketing at its best. Yeah. Um, is that what, is that the phenomenon that, that, that sort of explains food security and low food security because it forces certain, um, certain demographics down a road where they cannot be looking out for nutritious type of, uh, foods and, 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 um, you know, sort of eating healthy. Is that, is that where those uh, terms come from? Well, I think it boils down to like, you know, that and also convenience. Mm. I mean, it is convenient to go to McDonald's, you know, you don't have to cook. There's no plates to wash, you know, um, my son is four years old and I'm ashamed of the fact that as a chef, I couldn't get him to eat vegetables. And then he started watching this, this vegetable song on YouTube and, you know, one day he was just like, you know, I, wanted, I want some broccoli and I almost fell, fell off the chair. And I said, why? He was like, well, because it's an antioxidant. And this is a four-year-old. And, um, and I want some tomatoes with some sea salt, white, white tomatoes. Oh, you know, tomatoes, are, you know, have vitamin C. And, you know, that's just the power of, of I use that as an example, because that's just the power of people in all age brackets becoming self-aware you know, if you tell, you know, if you tell any male that, you know, eating figs is good for the uh, male uh, reproductive organs, <laughs> you, know, you will be surprised. You'll have how a rule on figs. Start eating, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you know, oh, you know, out to a restaurant, fig tart? Yes, I want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people, you know, I think people having a subconscious level of wanting to heal themselves by food but need to be reminded or in some cases re-educated about that importance of it being not so healthy for you, but healing for you. I'll take a little break now and just introduce you to three chefs who I have a profound respect for. They'll tell you about the healthy dishes that they make for patrons that come into their restaurants and or their families. Hi, my name is Bulani Nyuni, also known as Chef Pinky, and I currently run my newly established coffee spot slash food truck at Hellside Dams Blue in Zimbabwe. Um, I am trained in professional cookery and culinary arts, of which I did my training um, at International Hotel School in South Africa, Johannesburg. And one of my favorite healthiest dishes to cook is my version, anyways, of um, curry goat which is a firm favorite uh, during family gatherings here. Um, and I like to pair it with um, our staple starch here in Zimbabwe, which is um, Estrada. It is a hard porridge made out of mealy meal, ground mealy meal, um, with a taste of polenta without the added extras. Uh, usually I serve it with rice as well, or for all those that are dieting within my family, which is... No one really. <laughs> I usually serve it with like um, a cauliflower rice. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you for listening.
Hi everybody, my name is Chef James Mitchell and I'm the co-owner of House of Chef James Mitchell, St. Lazar. Uh, the healthiest dish that I like to prepare is a stuffed zucchini, which consists of goat cheese, the insides of the zucchini itself, a little bit of onion, a little bit of fine herbs, and a hint of lavender in that dish. And that would be our healthiest dish that we like to prepare and uh, for our families in the area. Thank you very much. Hi everyone, my name is Emil. Um, I'm a um, trainer chef for the last 20 something years. Uh, I'm originally from Poland, but uh, presently I live in Montreal. Uh, I've been lucky enough to uh, work in uh, many nice places in my career, like Ritz Carlton, Marriott hotels and uh, multiple uh, well-known restaurants. Uh, for the last two months, I decided to become vegetarian for many reasons. Health was the most um, uh, powerful reason for me. Um, so um, I decided as a chef that vegetarian food does not need to be boring or salad or just slice of fruits. Uh, as we use, usually see uh, as an offerings in the restaurant, sadly enough. So my favorite dish is actually saffron risotto with uh, wild mushrooms. And the way I make it, it I use uh, obviously vegetarian stock. I don't use um, butter, I use uh, just coconut oil um, to give a little cheesy texture and, and, and flavor. I add um, nutritional yeast. Um, and then of course um, uh, mushrooms are very much vegetarian and they're, they're full of nutrients um, so that's it that's that's my favorite dish it's beautiful you can present it whatever however you want it's colorful and it's super tasty um, thanks a lot thank you chefs for calling in and leaving us with your notes of your great healthy dishes now Back to my conversation with Alex. You know, my dad passed away five years ago this October, but, you know, I remember, you know, uh, and he did like, you know, out in the street, he was, he owned his own Pepsi Cola route. I mean, real man's work. Like I worked two summers when I was 17 with him. I had to bail out cause it was just, Heavy it was just real. Yeah. It was like, you cat, you, you know, that's, and I remember days, you know, where he, he would come home and be like, I, you know what? I feel I feel a little weak. I want to put on a I want to put on a pot of beans. You know what I mean? I'm I'm feeling like I need to you know boost my immune system, boost it yeah. up a little bit. And he you know he'd soak the beans overnight, and next day he'd have a pot of beans. Yeah, you that, know you know that. But that's interesting that you. So your father actually took the time, whereas nowadays maybe more people because of the marketing influence would just be like, hey, just go to McDonald's or hey, just just grab a quick snack. And to your point, it's all of that is an investment of time, right? And right. It's a health investment of time. It's a health investment of time. And we have to get people and you know, that's part of the uh, problem with food pantries is that people don't want to cook. They want to open a can, um, you know, and this is why we bring chefs of color into the equation because, you know, it's, it's, people need encouragement that, you know, with a freezer, you can make something on Monday and pack it away for the following week. That's right. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a time management situation. You know, once you put the beans in the water, they soak by themselves. You don't need to, you know, you (laughs) You don't need need to to talk to them or anything like that, you know? And um, I think we need to get back to some of the roots of those kind of, of education of this is how it's done. You know what I mean? You know, you can grow a tomato plant indoors. You know what I mean? I mean, just picking a tomato, smelling it, and just putting a little, you know, little olive oil on it, salt and pepper. I mean, it's that's a meal right there. Right. You know. Right. And so your your lens, um, your perspective is that when you have more chefs of uh, di- of of color, actually. Um, teaching and cooking and preparing and, 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 and saying those messages that it gets internalized more in the community. And then also the other side of it, obviously, is to give the community some access to better and more nutritious meals. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, it's, it's interactive learning. So, you know, I think what 
I think one of the barriers that is that really prevents um, health education penetrating the marginalized areas or 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 people folks uh, that need it the most is that you have people showing up that don't look like them that's telling you know hey this is healthy for you well how do you know me and I think there's a, a there's a I mean even with this you know plant based you know um, movement I mean what does that uh, you know what does that signify to communities of color I what is I mean you know one of the things that we um, have to realize is, and I was having this conversation with one of the largest foundations this week, and you know they they're really kind of speaking to why mindful eating for the beloved community is so important is because it gives word accessibility. So mm-hmm. mindful eating might be you know um, you know something around your earth to your mouth or soil you know soul to soil or soil to soul, or, um, you know, references of, you know, um, and I don't even use the word health that much. I just say, you know, it tastes good and makes you feel good. You know, I, I um, there's one of the largest areas, and I'm starting to kind of feel that in my, in my 50s, is inflammation. You know, I mean, um, yeah, that could be, you know, uh, salt. It could be a lot of different things. But there are foods that you know help you with inflammation, and uh, to me, that's really, really important because inflammation is a, is is a precursor to a lot of other conditions. For sure, you know? for sure. And once so, you start down that road, it, it's well, yeah, 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 absolutely. So you know, I eat a good curry once in a while because you know, or sometimes you know, add extra turmeric to it because mm-hmm. I know that that's one of the really go to things that you could do to to fight inflammation and I'm talking like total body inflammation, you know, and it's, it's just, I think we really need to have a personal conversation with us, with our folks, you know, there are older folks that are used to eating a certain way because their folks did it. And we, we're not burning five, 7,000 calories a day anymore. Yeah, I mean the type of work that people are doing just isn't going to uh, isn't going to do that. So there's no offset, right? There's no way there's for that. No offset at all. So you yeah. know we have to change our diet because our lifestyle is different, right? And we need to explain that in in you know a word accessibility, meeting people where they are to help them understand that you know you're going to have diabetes, which is reversible. You're going to have X, Y, and Z, which is reversible. But understand, you know, why you have it, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, it's really hard to get people out of judging themselves. And a lot of people guilt trip themselves to having a bad relationship with food. And so this whole mindfulness thing comes into um, perspective where you don't judge yourself and each day is a new day to start. So you don't think about last week, you know, eating four slices of pizza that was last week you know what i mean we moving forward um you know we know to eat less is going to be helpful um and to eat you know once in a while will be helpful and i'm not even an advocate of just telling people they shouldn't eat this or that because i think it's i think people do need treats but i i really think um, it's important for people to ask themselves one question is how is this serving me? And sometimes the answer is not very well, you know, um, I deserve a treat, but as long as you put things in, in perspective that this is, this is not a meal, this beverage is not serving me. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I have to be mindful that I, I can't do it often. Um, that's where we have a true internalized health in a very conscious level. Yeah, I, I love I love everything that you're saying, and I'm I'm taking a lot of notes here, partially because I want to ask the proper next question, but also I'm taking notes for myself because I think the way that you are uh, capturing the spirit of what food justice and 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 just mind mindful eating uh, really is and should be is is paramount to the progression of all people of uh, of of all stripes, but certainly of of this community. 
I, I had a question that, that I gravitate to, which is the economics of it, where the money is, right? So I, I believe that a lot of, uh, you know, fast food companies and people in the food system, as you say, market these things because they are cheaper to produce, they are easier to get out in market and hey, let's flood, especially certain parts of the um, of society with them. And those happen to be in disadvantaged areas. Um, is there a path to making nutritious food inexpensive or accessible? Well, that's a good question. I think that um, that's a big battle because at the end of the day, these food companies are trying to increase their revenue. So how? Where, where's the audience that we can increase our revenue? Um, if you remember a few years ago, you know, it was high, you know, high fructose corn syrup that was the real killer. I mean, that, that was just like, I mean, that's, you know, that was, if anything, if any food product could be compared to heroin, <laughs> that was it. Mm. And it took a lot of education um, for a lot of communities of color to understand that that was really super bad, like way worse than sugar, you know? And as um, it affected your brain. I mean, you know, if you, you would, you know, drink uh, two liters of soda and, you know, your, your brain is, you know, signaling to your stomach that, you know, it's not even full, you know, and, and giving the ability to just drink. I mean, literally, that was a huge problem. And that's why even like, local government had to step in because it was just wiping out, you know, um, and still to this day, I'm pretty surprised. I go some places and, you know, there's no teas. There's not even diet soda. I mean, diet soda is, is not that great for you, but it's better than the sugar version. You know, <laughs> um, you got to pick your poisons. And, um, but the, you know, get back to your question. I think the inroads are a couple of different strategies. One of them is, um, to make farmers markets more accessible in areas that, um, you know, don't have any access. Uh, number two, they're starting to do some training programs to produce healthy food out of like corner stores and bodegas. I think that's important. Um, uh, another three uh, lane is, uh, looking at the food pantry system and uh, coming up with how to convert it into a nutritional pickup or delivery system and what that might look like, uh, which I didn't know until two, two weeks ago that, you know, 60 to 70% of large uh, churches have food pantries, have kitchens, uh, facilities. Mm. So what if you train the staff there to make box lunches and box dinners that were available for the congregation or the community around. I mean, you know, there's some convenience, but that's healthy convenience, right? Yeah. And that, and that to a business opportunity, right? As well. Yeah. That would also generate revenue because if, if you have a $5 box lunch, first of all, that's, that's a couple of dollars under McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Number two is, um, you know, it's going to be balanced. Uh, people, usually eat what's in front of them, uh, especially if they're hungry. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, lastly, I think what's really important is that the, you know, whatever excess is left over can be contracted with a homeless agency. Wow. So you have multiple revenue streams. And this is what I call like um, a model that I'm proposing next year around a community uh, culinary innovation, healthy hub. I love that idea because to your point, you are just, you're, you're, you're hitting on so many different important check notes. You've got community coming together. You're hitting the, the, you know, like the dietary concerns you're doing the, you're hitting the price, uh, price point concerns. That's, that's innovation in its truest form. And, and, and you know, in terms of construction, you know, people are really being creative and I love 
creative people, I, I, I like to think of myself as one, um, where, you know, currently there's 50 million cargo containers just circling the earth where nobody knows what to do with them. And so in terms of up upcycling, which is taking something and repurposing it, you know, they're, you know, people are starting to take half containers and full containers and retrofitting them to be kind of like in, uh, you know, healthy grocery stores. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can send you a picture of what they're doing in St. Louis, but basically, I mean, all you got to do is, you know, insulate refrigeration and cut out a hole and paint it. And there you go. Wow. So you could drop one of these in front of a church. You know, you don't have to worry about construction or anything like that. And the containers are relatively cheap because they're, you know, I mean, there's just an excess of them all right. over the place. I mean, down the block from my house, there's like 40 just sitting in a yard for like the last five years. I mean, it's like no one knows what to do with them and you can't really send them to the dump, you know, and no one wants to dismantle them because they're solid steel. So what yeah. do you do with them? Yeah. So they're making homes, they're looking at, you know, repurposing them. But I think that's a great idea to just have it in front of a church or food pantry. And now you have people that are being trained for retail there, you know, um, you, you could, you could retro um, kind of retrofit the concept to include, you know, fruits and vegetables. So you can have like a, a mini, you know, produce area. Um, you know, maybe you could even serve like a, uh, um, you know, fresh squeezed juice, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and really kind of kick the ass of poor nutrition out of the community. It really takes a person like you, people like you, movements like that to just change the language and change people's habits and nutritional, uh, what, what they put in. What, what were you said? Uh, you know, tastes good, feels good, makes me feel good. What is Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, tastes good. Makes you feel good. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it, there, there's something to be said about, um, and this is something that has been in conversation, but it's never been acted on. But, you know, everyone knows as a chef perspective that, um, you know, hot peppers, you know, actually reduce arth arthritis. Right. right. And so um, I had a chef buddy of mine that years ago, he said, you know, I want to create a restaurant where, People can come in and, and you can ask them, well, you know, what ails you today? And they can say, well, this, that, and the other thing. And I can make a dish that makes them feel better. <laughs> and, um, so that's not my original, you know, idea. It's, it's actually repurposed from someone else's, you know, a conversation with someone else. Oh, but, okay. you know, what, um, I, I mean, you know, with all the medications going on these days, uh, the differential in taking medications and eating healthy is side effects, Yeah, you know? And if you watch any commercial on television about a new drug, you know, <laughs> you're so excited for the first 30 seconds, but then they're telling you that your bowels are going to fall out, yeah. you know, you're going to have kidney failure, uh -oh. this, that, sexual side effect. I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, why you would want to take that medication after, you know, those uh, side effect uh, kind of uh, admissions? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because those sometimes, I think I've listened to a commercial the other day where the list of side effects was longer than the, than the actual commercial for the product. And I was yeah. saying, my gosh, man, that, that, that can't make, make you feel good about what you're putting in your body if, they, if they're spending more time telling you what could go wrong. What drives you? Short answer, purpose. When you're in the kitchen, desserts, mains, or entrees? Um, I would say mains. In the movie about your life, the biopic that looks back, or, or you know, maybe it's a book. Um, I got two questions related to that. Number one, who is the actor who's cast as as Alex, as Chef Alex? Ask you. Um, 
So the actor, I mean, by what people tell me from time to time, depending, you know, um, on my weight is is uh, Terrence Howard. So there you have it. The conversation continues. I'd like to thank all my guests for making time to participate in this show. To all the chefs who reached out, be they included in this episode or on cue for a future one, I'd like to say thank you for lending your voice to such an important topic. Merci tout le monde. Grazie. And of course, special gratitude goes out to my featured guest today, Chef Alex Askew, for being so giving of your time, energy, and for allowing us, 54 Lights, to put your personal cause on such a public forum. I thank you immensely. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Simplified Studios, the soundstage and auditory office of Speech Simplified. Music for this episode was composed, played, and enjoyed with permission by Andy Ninval and Joachim Nortebert. If you like what you've heard, there's more. Be sure never to miss an episode by subscribing today. You can find us wherever you do your listening. That's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and many, many more. And of course, if you enjoy some social sprinkled in with your experience, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter under our handle, Crowd54. Listen, like, share. This is your host, Until we meet again, thanks for listening.